um, get into this this afternoon. We want to hear what Jesus has to teach us. So let me, uh, let me read it um, from Mark chapter 10, verse 13. And let's, let's listen to these words of Jesus and ask that he'd be speaking to us. Let me read from Mark chapter 10, verse 13. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, and let anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them and blessed them. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Then Peter spoke up, We have left everything to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, No one who's left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. These are pretty staggering words of Jesus. And let me start by stating my my main point, and this is what I want you to get clear this afternoon. It's pretty simple, but it's also pretty challenging. Here's the main point. Jesus will never flatter you. He will never flatter you because he loves you too much. That's what I want to try and show you from this story. Jesus will never flatter you. He loves you far too much. We live in a world that's full of flattery. We love being flattered. We love people telling us how great we are, don't we? But come on, I know that we're sitting in church and it's like, well, I don't think I can admit to that. But look, let's face it, we love it. It's like we have a kind of a little pride monster inside us and the pride monster feeds on flattery. It's looking, it's like this hunger. Can you picture like this hungry little monster inside you going, oh, who's going to flatter me? Who's going to give me something that I can... Oh, look, they, they said I was good, they did this. We love flattery. It feeds our pride. It makes us feel good. And that's how advertising works. 
Advertisers want to feed your pride. They want to flatter you, tell you how wonderful you are, so that you will love them back. Flattery. It's kind of all around us. We're flattering. Jesus will never do that. Because actually he loves you too much to do that. It's funny, if you go out shopping um, and you, you, you know, if I go out and I get a dress, not a dress, I wouldn't get a dress. If I went out and got a, a, a suit, suit, that's much more appropriate. If I get a suit um, and someone says, that suit really flatters you, I assume that means it makes you look better than you really are. You know, if someone says it looks nice on you, that's, that means it looks nice. If someone says it flatters you, I think that means you're quite fat and it sort of hides that. <laughs> don't know, just a thought. <laughs> Jesus won't do that about clothes. <laughs> and he won't do it about anything. He will not flatter you. Because actually, there is something so important at stake. Here's, what, here's why flattery, here's why Jesus will never flatter you. Have a look down with me at uh, verse 15. Anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Or look down to verse uh, 17. Here comes this man. He comes up to Jesus. Good teacher, he asks, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Right, do you see what Jesus is dealing with in this passage? He's dealing with the kingdom of God, entering the kingdom of God. He's dealing with eternal life. Later on, the disciples in verse 26 say to him, who then can be saved? He's dealing with how you are saved. That presumably means that by nature, all of us, are outside the kingdom of God, we do not have eternal life and instead face eternal death, and we are not saved, we're lost, we're in danger. And Jesus says this, what he's come to do is of such monumental importance, he's not going to flatter us. It's too important. Imagine a four-year-old kid walked into this room now with a rucksack on and said, I've made a parachute. Do you like it? I guarantee every person in this room, unless you are a phenomenally unkind person, every person in this room will say exactly the same thing. Oh, Billy, that's terrific. What a super parachute. That's brilliant. As Billy then wanders to the window... And opens the window and he says, and he's standing now on the window ledge and he says, do you like my parachute? Now you answer differently, right? Because when life and death are at stake, flattery is no good. When Billy's here, it's fine. You can flatter him. It doesn't matter. It's like irrelevant. Yes, Billy, it's lovely. Super, super. Now his life's in danger. Now you can't mess around. You need to tell him, actually, Billy, that's just a rucksack. It's got a little cloth in it, and it won't save you. You see the difference, right? If Jesus has simply come to be a nice bloke, to give us some nice ideas, to make our lives a little bit better, well, then he can come along and flatter us, and that would be lovely, and we can go, oh, Jesus thinks I'm great, and he's got some ideas for how I can improve my life. But I want you to see this afternoon. There is eternity at stake. 
Here is what is at stake. Whether or not you enter God's kingdom, the kingdom of peace and joy and life that lasts for eternity, where all things are put right, where Jesus is king, whether you're part of that kingdom or whether you're shut out of that kingdom for eternity. I can't emphasize to you enough. That's what's at stake. That's why Jesus won't mess around. And actually what we see Jesus doing in this story and in these passages is the absolute opposite of what we see in our world. Where there's so much flattery, where people say nice things to each other. Oh, you've had a haircut. Phil, you've had a haircut. And Phil says, oh, John, you've had a haircut. And I'm like, thanks, it's very generous of you. It was more of a kind of, you know, we have this kind of mutual thing. Jesus won't do that because life and death are at stake. And that's why we've called this whole series, Not So With You. All the way through, Jesus is saying, I don't work like the world. I don't work like that. I'm different to that. My disciples, there's a whole different way of thinking. Not so with you. You're not to be just like that. And Jesus is not going to feed our pride. In fact, and I want to put this gently, but Jesus is going to grab hold of our pride monster and kick his teeth in. That's, that's what he wants to do. Because pride will keep us out of the kingdom of heaven. You have to understand this. Pride will deny us eternal life. Pride will lead to us being lost, not saved. Jesus is not interested in feeding our pride. Imagine I went to the gym. Imagine. Don't laugh. The gym strikes me as a place where there's very little room for pride, as far as I can see. My experience with the gym. I go to the pride, especially when you go and talk to one of the, tra- the personal trainers. You know, they're the ones who come bouncing up to you, doing star jumps and saying, Hello! <laughs> Welcome! <laughs> when did you last do exercise? <laughs> and uh, anyway, so here he is, my personal trainer bloke. Now, he has great power over me because he can humble me massively. There's two ways he could humble me. This has got a point, by the way. You're going to see why this has got to do with this. It's a long introduction, but it's worth it. He could humble me by saying, by looking at me and going, let's start quite easy, shall we? Why don't you lie down on this bench? I'll give you a bar. We won't put weights on it. Just hold a bar. (laughs) And uh, I'll tell you what, I'll take some of the weight. And let's do it together. Come on, can you lift, lift it? Lift it? Now, can you see that would humble me, right? I'd be like, that's too easy. What are you saying? You saying you think I'm weak? That would be one way to humble me, by making me feel weak. But there's another way to humble me. The other way to humble me would be to, so we might call him Easy Eric, right? He's Easy Eric, the trainer. (laughs) The other way to humble me would be for for someone called Derek. (laughs) Not Eric, I've worked hard at this. But Derek lies me down on, on the bench and he loads the bar up with every single weight in the gym. So it's gone then. Let's see what you're made of. And I'm lying there going... Now can you see I'm humbled again? Not this time because it's too, hard, too easy, but now because it's too demanding. Here's demanding Derek. You've got easy Eric and demanding Derek. I don't want either of them. I want someone just in the middle just in the middle, who will make it hard enough for me to feel good, but not too demanding that it's too hard. Because that will flatter me. 
And most personal trainers know if they're any good, you need to flatter the person who comes. Otherwise, they'll go to another gym. Well, I'm not staying here. I'm going to go find a decent gym where they'll treat me for what I'm... This is the wonderful specimen of a human being that I am. <laughs> Easy, Eric. But you, you're like a little horrible person. I'm not going to listen to you either. Right. Here's Jesus, okay? I reckon most of us, we want a just right Jesus. A Jesus who doesn't say you're weak and actually insignificant, who makes it kind of hard enough for us to feel good about ourselves, but a Jesus who doesn't so demand things from us that we feel crushed by. We want a just right Jesus who will flatter us. Like in the story of Goldilocks, right? Sorry, we are getting to this. I just I want to get this clear, right? Goldilocks, if you know the story of Goldilocks, three bears, blah, blah, one chair's too hard, one chair's too hard, oh, the one that's just right. Some porridge is too hot, some porridge is too, just right. That's what we want. We want a Jesus who's just right, who flatters us. Right, you watch Jesus. First up, have a look at verse 13. Here we are. Hello, this is the passage. Verse 13, have a look. I hope with that kind of image in your mind, it may make some sense. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples rebuked them. Can't you feel their kind of like pride rising up? Well, who do these little people think they are? We are significant. Jesus, honestly, now we have to, it's a bit difficult for us because kids in our culture are like, oh, we love kids, you know, we treat them first, treat them best and all the rest of it. Actually, in that culture, children were in last place. They were insignificant. They weren't treated as highly valued. And the disciples, they kind of have this sense that they say, no, we're, we're valuable. And if those children come, it sort of devalues us. I feel like if I get invited to Buckingham Palace for dinner, I think, oh, I've been invited to Buckingham Palace. I must be really important. And then I discover that 50,000 other people have been as well. It sort of devalues my importance. Particularly if I discover that all of them are people who failed everything in all of their life. 50,000 failures. And me. It sort of devalues my place. And that's the disciples' problem. If these kids, if Jesus welcomes these little kids... Well, hang on, we thought we were special because Jesus welcomed us. But Jesus is properly angry. Look at this, right? Verse 14. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. That's a strong word. It really got to him that his disciples would treat the little children like this. So he does this. And here he goes, right? Not so with you. Here's where he takes their pride monster and is mean to it. Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. Here it comes. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. These are exactly the sort of people, Jesus says, who are welcome in my kingdom. And then he twists the knife one step further in verse 15. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Not only does he say, no, actually, the children are welcome alongside you, important disciples. He says, no, actually, they're welcome, and you've got to be like them. Can't you see that's not a very flattering thing for Jesus to say? 
Jesus doesn't say to them, well, actually, the children are lovely. Why don't we just let the children? No, Jesus says to the disciples, he cuts them down to size, and he says to them, you need to learn from the children. Well, what is it about children that means that they're so great, they can come into this kingdom? What is it? What is it that makes them so special? I'll tell you what it is. It's here in the passage. They receive it. Without a question of their own importance, without a question of their own status, they don't, they just receive it. The pride finds that really hard to do. If someone buys me a birthday present, it's my birthday tomorrow. Uh, if someone buys me a birthday present, there's an inbuilt reaction within me that goes, oh, I need to find out when their birthday is because I need to remember to buy them something. If someone buys me a beer in a pub, it's nearly impossible to not buy them one back. And in many ways, you should. Okay, I'm not, I'm not suggesting that we all go, oh, terrific, the preacher said, don't ever buy anything for anyone. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm trying to show you that we find it really hard to receive things that we haven't paid for. Kids don't have that problem. They genuinely don't. They just take. It's like, take. Yes, more, more. <laughs> wow, I need more. Okay, that's just, it's just the way it is. And that's what Jesus says you need to learn to be. You need to let go of all of that sense of significance and worth that says it's because I'm worth it. Jesus says, no, no, no. Actually, it's because I'm so generous and I love to give. You need to learn to receive it like a little child. And everything in us, is that this is the easy Eric, right? It's too easy. No, I want to work for it. I remember having a conversation with, a, with an elderly gentleman. He was a Hindu, a devout Hindu all his life. And I said to this man, who was called Christian, I said to him, listen, Jesus will pay for your sin. You just have to trust him. You do not have to be punished for your sin. Jesus will pay for you. And he said to me, I want to pay for my own sin. I don't want someone else to pay for it. Can't you see it? It offends our pride to have to admit that I'm weak like a little child and I need Eric to hold the bar for me and to lift the bar. It's very humbling how easy it is to enter the kingdom of heaven. That's a very humbling thing. It's so easy. Anyone. Some people say, oh, I'd love to be a Christian. I'd love to have your faith. I'm like, it's easy. Even a kid can do it. Very easy. But it offends us. But now look what happens next. Okay, so he's taught that first great lesson about the kingdom. It's easy to enter the kingdom of heaven. That offends our pride. Have a look now what happens. Verse 17. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him, fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, what do you make of him? You know, he comes... And he falls on his knees and he says, Jesus, you're a good teacher. Jesus' response is slightly peculiar, isn't it? Jesus says, why would you call me good? <laughs> don't you think that's, don't, come on, you've got to try and... Oh, Travis, we know these stories too well, or if you do know them, we just sit here and go, oh, fine, he said that. Can't you imagine how weird that would be? If you ran up to one of your tutors or professors 
and said, oh, most wonderful professor, most all-knowing, glorious, majestic professor. And they went, why would you call me all-knowing? Most professors that I know think they are all-knowing. So why does Jesus respond? I'll tell you why, okay? It's because this man is coming. He wants to play the flattery game. This is how the flattery game goes, work, goes right? He comes running in. He falls on his knees and says, oh, good teacher. What must I do to inherit eternal life? What's he expecting Jesus to say? He's expecting Jesus to say, oh, my good man. Stand up. You're an upright, wonderful man. He's expecting Jesus to return the compliment. Jesus doesn't play his game. Jesus doesn't flatter him. Why? Because he loves him too much. Jesus says, why do you call me good? Why do you chuck these terms around? No one's good but God alone. Are you seriously calling me God? This man hasn't got a clue what he's actually saying. Jesus is drawing it out of him. Jesus is saying, actually, you're spot on. I am God and I am good, but that's not the point. The point is, I won't simply play this game with you. And then Jesus gives an answer that I don't reckon many of us would give. Someone runs up to you and says, what have I got to do to be saved? What have I got to do to inherit eternal life? What would be your answer? Well, hang on a second. Uh, You need to believe in Jesus. And look what Jesus says. Jesus says, do you know the commandments? (laughs) Jesus' answer, what have I got to to be saved? Jesus' answer is, Keep the law. Not just here, he does it in other places as well. So you know the commandments. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not... Verse 20, look at verse 20. Teacher, he declared... This is strong, right? Teacher. All of I think there must have been a dramatic pause. Teacher. All of these I've kept since I was a boy. He's still, right? He's still playing the flattery game, Right? He's still expecting Jesus to say, great, what an excellent human being you are. You are a fine model of what it means to be in the kingdom. Okay, look at verse 21. I think I find this possibly the most moving verse in all of Mark's gospel. Look at it with me. Verse 21, Jesus looked at him and loved him. He is the only man in all of Mark's gospel who we are told Jesus explicitly loved. He looked at this man and loved him. There's nothing harsh here. Jesus is full of love. And so Jesus says to him, one thing you lack, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come Follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. That's pretty moving. You've got, to, you've got to try and picture the story. The man comes. He's full of self-confidence, expecting to be flattered. Jesus, Jesus says to him, you have to sell everything, give it to the poor, then come follow me. And the man walks away. And Jesus' love lets him walk. Isn't that surprising? We think that love does everything it can to keep people. 
Can I say, this is so challenging at this time of year for a church, right? This passage comes up. This is challenging me this time of year because there's piles of people going around London looking for churches. And it's so easy to kind of just want to flatter people and say, oh, come stay here. You know, it's very easy here. We don't have particularly difficult doctrines and it's fairly straightforward. And, you know, we make it fairly easy for people. And it's really nice to follow Jesus. Why don't you stay? Jesus lets this man walk away. And his heart, come on, Jesus loves this man. So he's watching the man walk away and Jesus' heart feels the pain as the man walks. The man is sad. Jesus is sad. There's a sadness in this story. But Jesus doesn't go after him and say, oh, no, 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 it's okay, it's okay, come back, come back. Let's have a talk. When I said everything, half? 30%? Okay, let's just do 10. Let's go back to 10. That was a good rule in the Old Testament. 10? Jesus doesn't budge. Why? Here's the heart of this story. What's he expecting the man to do? What's he trying to get the man to say? When he says to the man, go sell everything you have and give to the poor, then come follow me. What's he trying to make the man say? I can't. Jesus, I can't do that. Jesus is trying to show the man that although he thinks he's good, He has a love of money in his heart. He has an idol in his heart. He has something which has such power over his heart that he will not let go and he cannot let go. And Jesus is trying to show the man that he cannot enter the kingdom of God. It's impossible. He's demanding Derek who sets the bar so high, who makes the demand so high that it is impossible for anyone to attain. You tell me, is there anyone in this room who could leave everything? Every single one of us has got something in our heart. It may be money, it may be our career, it may be a relationship, it may be all sorts of different things, but there's something that Jesus, when he says, you've got to let go of that to follow me, we say, I can't do it, Jesus. I just can't. It's too painful, it's too hard. And then suddenly our pride is silenced. And suddenly we're flat on our faces before Jesus, saying, I can't do it, Jesus. And as this man walks away, look, the disciples are just amazed at Jesus' words, verse 24. But Jesus said again, children. Look what he calls them. He looks at his disciples and says, children. How hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who's rich to enter the kingdom of God. Let's just get that clear. How easy is it for a camel to go through the eye of a needle? That's hard. And you sometimes hear people talk about, oh, there's this gate and there's a camel and you can take off the bag. Forget it. That's not what it's about. It's impossible. Even if you had to liquidize it, it'd be very difficult to get the camel through the eye of a needle. It's impossible. And Jesus says, and the disciples get it, they say, well, then who can be saved? How can it be possible? And here it is, look at this. With man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. You see, when Jesus has broken our pride, and when Jesus has brought us to a place of saying, Jesus, I can't do it. I cannot follow you. He says, great. Now we're in business. Now I can save you. But he's got to bring us to that place first. 
And the whole reason Jesus came was to grab hold of us. We can't do it. The demands of Jesus are too great. The bar is too high. We cannot enter the kingdom of God, but Jesus came. And with God, this is possible. Just listen to these words. Um, Don't worry about turning to it. Just listen to these words from later on in, in Mark's gospel. Jesus' prayer is praying in in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's the night before he goes to die. Listen to what he says. Everything is possible for you. Please take this cup from me. Please take the cross away from me. But not what I will, but what you will. How is it that God is able to save us? Because he didn't take the cup away from Jesus. Because Jesus went to a cross and he died. And as Jesus died on the cross, he was shut out of the kingdom of God. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's shut out of God's presence like I deserve to be for my pride. As Jesus dies on the cross, he faces Hell itself, the eternal death, he faces that punishment that I deserve for my pride. He faces it for me. As Jesus dies on the cross, he is lost in order that I might be saved. How is it possible that God can save proud people because Jesus went to a cross and he took the cup, he took the death, he took the punishment? And so this afternoon, Jesus wants to take our pride. And he wants to say, it's so easy. It's so easy to enter the kingdom of heaven. Don't be too proud. And it's so hard to enter the kingdom of heaven. Don't be too proud. And we need to admit, we need to admit our weakness. Do you know, what we do is we we settle for this just right Jesus. We lessen his demands. We say, oh, Jesus doesn't really mean that. Can I tell you this? If you do that, if you you take this command of Jesus and say, well, he didn't really mean sell everything and give it to the poor. Yes, he did. And the fact that we can't do that just shows how much we love money, right? We're supposed to feel that. And yet what we do is we just take it and go, well, he didn't really mean that. He was just making a point. And what you end up with is a boring, bland, pathetic Jesus who makes no demands on us. Jesus makes these massive demands. And then he says, you can't do that. Then he dies on the cross so that he can forgive us. And then he calls us to follow him. It's so cool. This is the gospel. This is what we believe. And just as we finish, there's one final warning of pride because here's the most sneaky one of all. Here comes up piped Peter. Verse 28. Then Peter spoke up. We've left everything to follow you. Come on, Jesus. Surely there's some flattery for us. Surely you're going to say, well done, Peter. Even with Peter. Look what he says. No one who's left homes or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times. Oh, yes, Peter, there is massive blessing. You will be massively blessed. You are not missing out as you let go of those things. But here's the warning, verse 31. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Peter, don't 
you get proud of what you've done for Jesus. We can get proud as Christians. Hey, look at me. I went to church this afternoon. (laughs) I've given my money. I've done this. I've done this. Jesus says, forget it. There is no room for flattery anywhere. Pride will shut you out of the kingdom. So just as we finish, I want us to kind of, I, I, I want us to take this, I want us to let this to, to really hit our hearts. And I wonder what it is, particularly this afternoon, that Jesus has been putting his finger on and saying, look, just let go. Let go of that obsession for flattery, for someone who will tell you you're great. Just think what we would be, what a church. Just dream with me of what we would be if we were willing to give up everything to follow Jesus. If as he changes us, as he forgives us, we begin to take serious, radical action, that's when being a Christian gets exciting. That's when being a Christian is life-changing. But we need Jesus to humble us. So we're going to pray together, and we're going to ask that he would do that for us. Perhaps for some of us, we've, we've just got that just right Jesus. He's, he's right there. He's just what we want him to be. He makes us feel good, but he doesn't make too many demands. Don't settle for that. That's pathetic. You'd be better without any Jesus than that. Let's let him. Let's let him take our pride, squeeze it to death, and then give us new life. That's what he wants to do for us this afternoon. Let's pray and then we're going to have some time to respond. Father, it is, it is such a glorious thing that to enter your kingdom is so easy. We receive it like a little child. And yet it's so hard. It, it's so hard that it took Jesus' death on the cross. It's so costly. And we pray that we'd stop this pathetic middle of the road Jesus that we live for. He doesn't demand too much of us. Father, please help us not to flatter ourselves. Help us not to flatter one another. Help us to let Jesus transform our lives for the glory of his name. Amen. Um, We've got a few minutes. We're going to sing together. Um, and as we sing, what we're going to do is we're going to to sing um, together now. And then um, I'm going to give you a little bit of time. This is something we did a little bit last year. And this is quite important to us as a church, that we respond to what God says. That we don't just go, oh, that was nice, just sing a song, just get some food. Actually, we respond. And one of the ways that we began to respond last year was to take a moment. We're going to sing, then we're going to sit down again, and then... um, Josh will play quiet in the background. And I'd love you to grab maybe the notice sheet and a pen if there's pens around. I'd love you to write something. It may be a, a, a poem or a lyric of a song or a prayer or something where you respond to what we've just been saying. Um, no one's going to read it. No one's going to... It may be that some of you, you, need, you, you love writing songs and stuff. It may be that you take it home and you develop it into a song and you... It's not that it has to be for other people, but it's a way of helping our hearts to respond. So we're going to stand and sing, and then after we've sung, we'll sit down just for 
I don't know, five minutes or so. Just to, if, if you don't want to write, that's fine. If you want to just sit and pray, that's cool. And even if you're not, you say, I'm not very arty, I'm not very good at that kind of thing. Well, have a go. It's a great way just to respond. Well, we're going to stand and we're going to sing. Everyone needs compassion. Saviour, he can move the mountains. He's mighty to save. Let's stand. Let's worship.